0: Father, thank You that You are so kind and that You hear us when we call. So will You hear us please as we call on You this morning and as Your people this week may be suffering various trials and afflictions, carrying heavy burdens through a sin-cursed world right now, various relational difficulties and griefs, conflicts, not to mention just carrying the burden of a culture that has rejected Jesus Christ our Lord. Will You answer us when we call to You in the day of trouble? Will You send help from Your sanctuary for the sake of Your people? Strength and power and angels to help fight battles for us. Strength of Your Holy Spirit to help us endure and have hope in the promises of Your Word when seem bleak and dark. Father, remember we are your people who gather for your name's sake and gather for your worship. Remember the songs of our hearts that we've sang to you and the sacrifices of our obedience and forget us not, O Lord. Grant to us our heart's desire, we pray. Fulfill the plans that we've set forth to seek to honor You. And may we be a people who shout for joy over the salvation that we've been singing about of Jesus Christ, our Lord, dying in our place, enduring our just penalty, becoming a curse for us so that we might receive the endless blessings from Your hand. Every blessing in the heavenly places is ours. So hear and fulfill our petitions as we trust in You. Some will trust in chariots and war horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And so we call on You, asking You to fight for us. We call on You to wage war against our enemies. We trust in you to advance your gospel and to build your kingdom through the preaching of your truth. Save us, we pray, and deliver us from every affliction. Though those who trust in every other strength and power will collapse and fall, we trust in the Lord, our God. And Lord, we trust you as we call on your name for various needs in our community and around us, I do pray for the other churches in our town who believe your truth, who are committed to your truth, and who are unashamed of Jesus' words, that you would give fruit to their work, that you would give strength to their hands to be diligent in caring for their sheep, in seeing and winning lost people to Christ. Father, we pray specifically for Matt Shockney, the pastor of Foot of the Cross. We We do thank you that he's recovering from a very severe bout with COVID. Uh, We thank you for the ways the church has come together to be the church while him and his family have been suffering through this. Thank you for your mercies to him. We do pray for uh, Joel's ministry of the word to bear fruit at the youth retreat he was preaching at this week. We pray that it would bear lasting fruit in the hearts and lives of those teens. Lord, that they would love Christ and submit their lives to him. And we do pray for Pastor Timothy and the brothers and sisters in Nepal that we've supported and prayed for and sought to love the best we can in the, in the past. And, and we do pray that they would know we are praying for them and feel our love. And, and Lord, we do pray that our resources would be put to good use to strengthen the hearts of the saints. Father, we don't know what to do. We know that we are in need of you. And our eyes are on you to care for the needs of the whole world right now. But especially do things spiritually in Nepal that you couldn't have done any other way for the sake of your gospel. Lord, we pray for the Snells and their love for their neighbors and opportunities for the gospel there. We pray that there would be a good turnout for the next prayer meeting. and We pray that you would give fruit to their evangelism Lord, we want to see their neighbors trust in Christ. Will you do that, Lord? And we pray for Scott, the principal of Clear Creek Christian. And we're thankful that his surgery was successful from can- his cancer. We do pray that uh, you would give healing to his body. But more than that, in all these things, we pray that he would be a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ as he has been to the school community and um, to Christians in our town of how to suffer with godliness, and we thank you that you are giving grace to him, sufficient grace to him and his family to do just that. Thank you, Father. We trust in you. Hear us when we call. And thank you that you do. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you don't have the cup and the bread yet, please go Grab that as we turn to the Lord's table. change this up a little bit. Keep me on for a second. I'm going to ask for a couple guys to come and pray in just a second. And um, we partake of the Lord's table and we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And as we partake, Jesus gives sanctifying grace to us. This is a meal for our souls and for our growth. We don't just remember Jesus. There's actually strength that comes through this. Just like you partake of physical food and it gives physical strength, you partake of the Lord's table and it gives spiritual strength to us. You don't have to be a member of our church to partake of the Lord's table, but you do have to be a Christian. Um, You have to know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, we encourage you just to withhold for this moment. And uh, we'd also encourage you to think about what is this all about? This is a meal that Christ has given us that represents his body and his blood shed and broken and killed and dying for us in our place. It's a physical thing that God gives us to remember extremely important spiritual truths from our Savior and our Lord. And so um, we'd encourage you to think about that and uh, maybe even to ask us afterwards, what's, what's this all about? We would love to talk with you about Jesus. And, uh, what he what he means to all of us, and and what he means to, should mean to you. I would also encourage you to um, take a moment and uh, consider your ways. You know, I I have this fear about communion. I'll just let me just be honest about it. I have this fear about communion. This isn't mass, okay? This isn't mass. And so you have this fear about communion as a pastor, where. We're supposed to take communion in a worthy manner. Which if I could summarize in big picture terms, I would just say, a repentant Christian life. I'm seeking to live a life of repentance. Okay? One of my fears when I say that is, if you feel weak in your repentance, that doesn't mean you shouldn't partake of the Lord's table. Jesus is very gracious to his children in partaking of this. If, if we felt like you should not be taking the Lord's table right now, we would probably talk to you about that, okay? And if we haven't came and talked to you about the fact that you probably are in a situation right now where you're living in such unrepentant sin that you probably need to withhold from the table for a period of time, then we just want to encourage you to partake of the Lord's table and to be thankful for the table and to to partake of the table with joy, okay? And so my fear is that a weak saint or a feeling of weakness as one of the saints of God would keep you from partaking of this table. And I just want to encourage you to not let that be the case. Since the children in here, I probably should also encourage you that this isn't for your children. Okay? This isn't for your children. This is for the um, members of the Church of Jesus Christ. And, um, and I would not even encourage you for the baptized members of the Church of Jesus Christ. and So, um, so this is not for them. I'm going to read this passage and then I'm going to have someone give thanks and then we'll have a moment and then we'll partake together, okay? 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when He was betrayed, took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is My body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. In the same way, also, He took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in My blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of Me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Take a moment now. Consider your ways. This is a moment to confess any known sin. And then Esteban is going to come and give thanks for the body and blood of our Lord, and then we'll partake together. Okay. If you would, to your Bibles, in your Bibles, to Luke chapter twenty. Lord willing, we're going to finish Luke chapter twenty today. I feel like we're making progress, Matthew. Like if we if we finish chapter twenty today, we might actually finish the Gospel of Luke sometime. Well, in Luke chapter 20, um, Jesus continues. Remember, he's in conflict. The, the is, Israel's leaders are rejecting Jesus. Their rejection of him is, is altogether complete at this point. You know, There's no hope for them at this point of um, repenting and everything being turned around. I mean, their rejection of them is complete. What you're seeing now as we read through Luke chapter 20 is just the evidence of that. And they come... Uh, questioning Jesus, trying to trap Jesus. They're trying to get rid of him, but in a way that's very crafty and allows them to have reputation and to not upset the people against them. And so they're trying to be very careful about how they do this. And so, um, which just heightens the nastiness of their rejection of Jesus. You know, and so uh, in Luke chapter 20, though, I just kind of wrote this thought down. Jesus will have the last word. Jesus will have the last word. And so you're going to see a couple questions get asked of Jesus um, for a couple different reasons um, in the two sections in Luke chapter 20. And when the, the questions are asked, Jesus answers the question and he silences everyone. And then they're scared to ask him any more questions. Okay, that's what you're going to see. And so have you ever known someone who just had to have the last word about everything? You know, it's like they could never just shut up. And they felt like if, they, if, if everyone wasn't silent after they spoke, you know, if there was still reason for them to keep speaking. <laughs> and you never really liked that person very easily. <laughs> you never liked that quality about them. Um, but when it comes to authorities, the nature of actually carrying authority does imply having the last word. You know, authority is the power to command Um, uh, Authority is the power to speak according to the way things are. And, And in Jesus' case, He possesses the unique divine authority. He's not just a rabbi amongst the other rabbis. He is God the Son who possesses unique divine authority. He's not just one prophet amongst the prophets. He is God over all the prophets. And even as they spoke with authority, He's the one that gave them the words that they spoke to the people. And He is the one to whom they spoke about. And so He is absolutely unique in His authority. And so He's not like your friend who kind of has to have the last word. He's, he's, he's the one who must have the last word in all things because He is the one who created all things and defines the truth about all things. And He is the one who ultimately will leave all people confounded and silent. And so the religious leaders are completing the fullness of their rejection of Jesus. And Jesus is completing His rejection of them. Verse 19. The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on Him at that very hour for they perceived, this is going back to the previous context, they perceived that He had told this parable against them, but they feared the people. All right? So, um, the previous parable, which is the parable of the wicked tenant, God the Father sends a servant, the prophets, to Israel. God the, they kill Him. You know, God the Father sends a servant, the prophets, to Israel. They kill Him. God the Father sends a servant, the prophets, to Israel. And they kill Him. And God the Father thinks, if I send My beloved Son, surely they'll respect Him. But when the tenants saw Him, they said to themselves, this is the heir, let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And so the scribes and the chief priests want to continue to rule Israel for the power it gives them and the riches that they gain from the rule over Israel. And they are wicked, absolutely wicked leaders. And they want to kill Jesus, but they know that at this point, if they lay their hands on Jesus, that the people are going to be pretty upset about it. Because the people are still trying to figure out who Jesus is. So, they devise a plan. How can we, how can we in other words, come up with a plan where Jesus becomes self-condemned? where it would be evidence not just you know, in our perspective, where it would be some kind of evidence to the people that they would want to get rid of Him also. So, verse 20, "...so, since they feared the people, and they watched Him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere." They, these are, <laughs> they sent spies to be the perfect hypocrites you know, a hypocrite's not a person... Um, that lying is not necessarily the foundation of being a hypocrite. It's insincerity. It's pretending to be something knowing that it's not true. And so, you know, they send this, this group of spies who pretended to be sincere that they might catch him in something he said. Why? so as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction. In other words, they want to they catch him in something he says, so they have a reason to deliver him to the Roman authorities. Because if, if he commits some crime against the Roman authorities, or speaks against the Roman authorities, then the leaders can deliver him up and then kind of, handles the people too, because the people will be like, oh yeah, well, I mean, I guess he's got to get handed over to the Roman authorities for this. So it deals with the people too, and so it's a, it's a very crafty plan. But I want you to just notice, notice that reality. And to understand, you know, J.C. Ryle, I'm just going to read this to you because it's just so incredibly helpful. By the way, if you need something that you just want to read to strengthen your heart on Luke... J.C. Ryle has these expository thoughts on the Gospels, and he has one on every Gospel. Very accessible writing. It's actually written for children. You know, it's actually written for children, kind of in the 12-year-old age range, which makes it extremely helpful. And uh, I just want you to hear what he says about this. All right, these are... um, These people are those who speak smoother than butter. Yet there was war in their hearts. The true servant of Christ must expect to meet persons of this description—this flattering, effusive, um, flatter. Let me let me show you what they say first. Verse twenty-one. Right. So they come, and what do they do? Verse twenty-one. So they asked him, "Teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly." and you show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. So, they come flattering Jesus. Kind of this effusive flattery of Jesus. They speak truly of Him. That's the nature of what hypocrisy is. Right? Pretending truthfulness when it's not actually true in the heart. Okay? Okay. So their words were smoother than butter, yet there was war in their hearts. The true servant of Christ must expect to meet persons of this description as long as the world stands. And it's so important that you understand that, because when we read these particular stories in the Bible and with Jesus, we kind of just think, well, these are the kinds of things that just happened to Jesus. We don't really think that these are the kinds of things that ever happen in our church. There never will be wanting those who from interested or sinister motives will profess with their lips to love Christ while in heart they deny Him. There will always be some who by good words and fair speeches will attempt to deceive the heart of the simple. The union of burning lips and a wicked heart is far from uncommon listen to this, there are probably few congregations which do not contain some of those whom Solomon likens to potsherds covered with silver dross. And it's important that you first recognize that this reality exists in the life of Jesus' church today and in every congregation of Jesus' church today. It's important because if you don't want to live your life deceived by people like that, He that would not be often deceived in this wicked world must carefully remember these things. We must exercise a wise caution as we travel through life and not play the part of the simple who believeth every word. Proverbs 14.15 We must not lightly put confidence in every new religious volunteer, nor hastily take it for granted that all people are good who talk like good men. such caution at first sight may appear narrow-minded and uncharitable. But the longer we live, the more we shall find it needful. We shall discover by experience that not all is gold that glitters, and all are not true Christians who make a loud profession of Christianity. And this is really important here. The language of Christianity, the language, the talk, the words of Christianity the ability to talk about Christianity. The language of Christianity is precisely that part of religion which a false Christian finds it most easy to attain. In other words, it's way easier to learn the language of Christianity and to use Christian words. And to the simple, they will think that the Christian words that you use are the measure of a great spirituality. To the wise, the walk of a man's daily life and not the talk of his lips is the only safe test of his character. And just think about yourself. For some of you, you've known so many words. You've known so many Christian words. But think about your life and think about the quality of your marriage. Think about your children. And just realize that the talk means nothing. The words mean nothing. It's the daily habit of your life and your walk with God that is everything. And where that was lacking in the place of words, it's to our shame. And what I want you to understand is that as a Christian, there are degrees in which what the scribes and the chief priests are doing here that is true even in our hearts and lives and in the life of our church. And we should think about ourselves in that state and in these particular sins of our lives as having been rescued from the very cliff, the very edge of the cliff of the pit of hell, only by grace. Only by grace and loving kindness of God. And I hope that the kindness of God in regards to these particular sins and the life of our church will be something that lead us to further repentance. To a sincere faith. To a sincere faith. And I hope just thinking about these things will help our church not be overly simpleton. I want us to have a simple faith in one sense, but I don't want us to be overly simple-minded. I don't want us to be unaware of the schemes of the hypocrite or the schemes of the person who speaks well and in whose heart is war. And I don't want you to think about every person everywhere that would ever come across our midst that just because they're at our church that everything is good in their heart. discerning. Now, having heard that, I also don't want you to not love people and assume the best when you have reason to do so. <laughs> and to believe all things. I think you can probably tell since you come here every week. <laughs> I just... I have this zeal to make sure that we understand that what's on the pages of Scripture is real. It's not just true in history, but the truths that the Scripture is teaching actually are true in any age. You know Um, that there's these things are these things still happen amongst the people of God as they happened amongst Israel. I just want you to see that's the context. That's who's coming to Jesus to trap him, okay? So as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. So they asked him, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful? Which is true. Which is true, right? Right? But the heart is to make war. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? The question is, is it lawful? Is it godly? You know, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? That's the question. Okay. Now, why is that question a trap? Why is that question a trap? Well, if Jesus gives a simple yes or no answer, then he, it's a lose-lose situation. Because if Jesus says, yes, it's lawful to pay taxes to Caesar, then who is He going to upset? He's going to upset all the people. And the people are the only thing holding back the religious leaders from taking hold of Jesus and killing Him right now. And so, the people who are kind of have an animosity against Rome and its taxation system, that sound familiar? They who have an animosity against Rome and its taxation system, if Jesus is like, yes, pay taxes to Caesar, then they're all going to be on the outs with Him. If He says no... Then he speaks against Rome. Then he speaks against Caesar. Then he's a Jewish rabbi who's going to create an uprising against Roman authority. And so it's a lose-lose situation. And Jesus, just the wisdom of Jesus, is just, I just, I'm like, Lord Jesus, just give me this kind of wisdom in these kinds of situations to know how to answer well so what does Jesus say then? If it's a lose-lose situation, how is Jesus going to get out of it? Verse 23, but he perceived their craftiness. And I just want you to know that in some of these kinds of situations, you can do this too. Right? This, isn't, this isn't just a supernatural thing with Jesus. You can learn discernment. You can learn wisdom. And you can understand the doctrine of sin. And you can understand sometimes people are being crafty. But He perceived their craftiness and said to them, Show me a denarius. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? So Jesus begins to answer the question with a question. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? Whose, Whose image is on this denarius? They said Caesar's. The denarius has the image of Caesar on it. And He said to them, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Render to Caesar the things that bear Caesar's image. And to God the things that are God's. Render to God the things that belong to God. Render to God the things that bear His image. And they were not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said. But marveling at his answer, they became silent. So pay your taxes. I know, you get taxed too much. right? And every government authority that's ever existed has overreached their authority that's delegated them from God as ministers and servants of God. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Don't listen to people who tell you you shouldn't pay your taxes, okay? You've got to pay your taxes. There's a lot of stuff the government does wrong that you just have to go along with. It's not Christian to fight every little thing that the government does wrong. It's not Christian. It's never been Christian. Right? The saints down through the ages, if you could read their testimonies and see their stories... They're not fighting the government about every little stinking thing that the government does wrong. They're not. They give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but they give to God the things that are God's. And when he says that, what is he saying? He's saying, give to God what bears his image, what bears the image of God. If the denarius bears the image of Caesar, so give that to him. What bears the image of God to be given to God? You do. You do. You bear the image of God. So let your whole life be given to God. And when he says that to Israel nothing about their life is given to God. Everything is a perversion of justice and a perversion of righteousness and a pursuit of wickedness and greed and pride. The whole temple is a marketplace hindering the the nation's worship of God. In other words, Jesus is saying everything about you is entirely wrong here. He's not just making a statement that kind of puts to silent the answer to the question. It's a condemnation. Give to God the things that are God's. The Christian life is a life lived before God. And if it was R.C. Sproul, I would say it in Latin. Because if you say it in Latin, it's godlier. If a, if a preacher can say it in Latin, he really knows his stuff. <laughs> I love R.C., but that's silly. Corum Deo, before God. By the way, don't be a snob about classical education that's better just because you learn Latin. You know, That's an overgeneralization, but that's kind of the way they think about themselves sometimes. So don't be a snob about education because if kids learn Latin, that's really what they need for godliness. Okay? Jesus is saying, Live your life before God, starting with the fact that I'm right here. And what you people are doing is constantly walking in opposition to me, when what you should be doing is bowing yourself before me in praise. Right? What do you see in Scripture when an angel shows up before anyone? They fall on their face, terrified, thinking this is God, and they think they're supposed to worship. Or they and and the angels like, and, and this is Jesus, right before Him. Give the things to God that are God, starting with my worship. And so is your life given to God? That's the real question. Is your life given to God? Everything belongs to him. You are the bearer of his image. You know what it means to be the image of God? It doesn't mean, you know, that, well, God can think so you can think. It doesn't mean, well, God can feel so you can feel. It doesn't mean God can reason so you can reason. That's not what it means to be. In the image of God, what it means to be in the image of God is to functionally image Him, to be a representative of Him, an accurate representation of him. You know Just think about in Scripture in the Old Testament, when Israel had an idol, right? They made an idol in the image and likeness of a God, right? They used the same terms for the image and likeness that God made us with. In other words we are the idols of God. We are the image we are made to be the image and likeness of God. It's no different than me saying something just like Christ likeness. It's the same thing. We are made to be the images of God. When Jesus tells them this, all right, they were not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said. <laughs> but marveling at his answer, they became silent. Well, what does that mean? You know, and I know what we want on this passage. I just tell you, I know what we all want because I kind, kind of want it too. I want a thorough understanding of the relationship between church and state. I want a thorough understanding of the relationship between uh, what is to be given to Caesar and what is to be be given to God. Jesus isn't here saying that um, somehow the things given to Caesar are disconnected from God. I mean, ultimately, ultimately, right? God reigns over Caesar. God is the ultimate authority over Caesar. And so there's nothing unlawful in terms of your godliness to pay taxes to Caesar. But don't you just want more answers than that? Don't you want the ins and outs for how this is supposed to apply to all the details of American life? You know? Where you have a state that is seeking to eliminate freedom of speech and you have a state that's constantly increasingly moving towards tyranny over all of its people right and no party is really immune to it and i don't have all the answers for how to do it, how all that stuff's supposed to work out I think what I would just caution us about as we try to figure that out, I think I would caution us against listening to people who have all the answers about it. I actually think I would caution you to be careful of people who have all the answers about it. You know, it's easy to present yourself with an answer. But then... What ends up happening is it just ends up dividing people because there's some other really good thoughts about that too, on a counterpoint and counter opinion. And what I think is really important is we try to think about, you know, as you think about things like masks and, I mean, vaccinations, and, I mean, it's all crazy, all all kinds of crazy stuff out there, right? But what I just wanna caution us against is, I just wanna caution us against thinking that we have all the answers of exactly how that's supposed to work out. Complex situations, and our situation is increasingly complex from many of the nations in history because of the nature of our Constitution. Whereas in a monarchy, situations a little more straight-lined. Whatever Caesar says is the law of the land. And here we have a constitution. We also have a constitution that delegates authorities. So you have an extremely complex authority system across our land. And we think, well, you know, there's always going to be somebody who's not going to follow the constitution, which is supposed to be the law of our land. <laughs> you know, what do you do with that person? Do you submit to them or do you rebel against them? And some of these situations just are not that easy. They're just not that easy. So here's what I would encourage you. I would encourage you to think two thoughts because this is all I've got for you. One is just be careful of being the person who has all the answers. Because frankly, just, just straight up, if you need to work on your marriage and you have all the answers about our country and government, you probably should just be quieter, frankly. Secondly, if the government is commanding you to sin, that's a whole different ballgame. It's a whole different ballgame There is a massive difference between... It doesn't matter if the government's overreaching. The question is, is the government commanding you to sin? It matters that the government's overreaching. You understand what I'm saying? I'm saying in comparison. Is the government commanding you to sin? And that's a trickier question. (laughs) And a clearer question... And so, I'm not giving you any answers, but I'm just, that's the question. Is the government commanding you to sin? And this is the same thing in your workplace. Your workplace is going to have you have to think about all kinds of weird things and put you in really difficult situations. The real question about whether you can continue on in your workplace is Is my boss commanding me to sin? And I want you to think about this because. There were Christians in Caesar's household. Did you know that? You ever thought about that? In Caesar's actual household, there were Christians present there, living there, functioning in Caesar's household. And Caesar, you know, considered Lord. He was like viewed like a god. But there were Christians in his household. So, how did they do that? Apparently, very wisely and very carefully. Right? Joseph raised up in Pharaoh's palace. Moses, raised up in the house of Pharaoh, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But Daniel's wisdom exalted for his ability, God-given ability to interpret dreams. Brought near to the king. And so Christians have have been able to live in some very difficult situations. And the real question was are they demanding that I sin? And if they're not demanding that I sin, then be wise. Be wise as a serpent and be innocent as a dove in the place in which you're at, whether it's work or in relationship to the civil authorities. Don't have all the answers. And wrestle is the question here. When you feel like you're supposed to quit or you feel like you're supposed to, you know, whatever. Are they asking me to sin? Bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's statue. We're not going to do that, O king. We're not going to do that. This is why you have sympathy for the churches in Canada. Because God says to gather and the civil magistrates like you can't gather. That's a pretty difficult situation at this point with all that we know about COVID. And so you have sympathy with them. Especially the ones who have actually made an effort to honor authorities in the process. The ones who are young and arrogant and all they do is revile authorities, you know, and then hold firm to their conviction. Calvin wrote a letter to the king of France, exalting the majesty of the king of France, even while the king of France was killing Christians. And it was in his appeal to get him to stop. But he wasn't reviling him the way young men revile him today, revile the authorities today. Well, I don't know what to take from all of that. Be careful about having all the answers, and really wrestle with the question: Am I am I being commanded to sin? Otherwise, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. Maybe I would just add to this. You know, this 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 dynamic is something our elders are talking about. Um, it's a discussion for us to keep having as a church, you know, to try to figure out what is, what is disobedience. You know, when do we have to give things to God that are in conflict with Caesar? You know, in conflict with the governing authorities? Sometimes the two go together, and sometimes the two don't go together. And so the real conflict comes when the two don't go together. Well, when do the two not go together? And I would just, I would come back to that. Are we being commanded to sin? That's the real, that's the main, uh, that's the main, that's the straw that breaks the camel's back in in regards to giving to Caesar things that are Caesar's because we have an ultimate authority who is God. If the government came along today and said, you guys can't meet as a church right now, right? We would just be like, my backyard's open, you know? Um if, uh, if they said, you can't preach from the Bible anymore. Um, if they said, in your worship gatherings, you need to recite the Creed of Bloomington. They said, on the front of your church doorstep, you need a statue of Alfred Kinsey. And here's the thing. I don't think we all have to think exactly the same about all this stuff in our church. I just think we have to be recognize that it's difficult. I think that's the issue. You know? I just think we have to recognize that it's difficult. And not disrupt the unity of the church in trying to figure it out. Some things are easier, some things are more difficult. And then I would just say this why are we all freaked out today about this? I mean, the government's been doing, I mean, like, why did masks become the thing while the church had to explode about? I mean, can you think back over the last 50, 70 years about what the government has done that the church was absolutely silent about? Where was the church when, where was the church in trying to ever do anything to prevent no-fault divorce? You yeah. know? Or where was the church At the time when, you know, the Supreme Court, assuming its role to, you know, divine authority to give and take life, ruled that abortion was legal and you're now free to do this. Where was the church? Where's the church today? I mean, just think about the amount of money that the government's wasted over the last 70 years. It's like we've been going along with this stuff forever. (laughs) And far more wicked things than masks. Far more wicked things than masks. And the church has been dead silent. And then the government tells me I've got to put something on my face and now it's over and I'll blow up every church I'm a member of that doesn't agree with me in my opinion about masks. And this is shameful. This is shameful. So now you have, you literally today, you, have, you literally have people moving all across the country to find the church that agrees with them on their position about masks. It's not even baptism for crying out loud. The church used to divide, used to divide over baptism. No, it's not. It's not false teaching. It's not even another gospel. It's not even a new doctrinal statement. It's an addendum to the Westminster Confession of Faith. thought we would add to the great divines of Westminster by an addendum that this would be the reason, unsound doctrine because of a church's opinion about masks and we thought this was the reason to blow up churches all across the country and I'll just tell you I don't have all the answers but I know this I know that Christians down through the ages have been characterized by a peaceful and quiet obedience. And you're going to hear me and you're going to think, well, are you caving now? I thought you were, you know, uncompromised in this thing. I'm probably compromised in all kinds of things. What are you compromised about? But the point being this, the point being this. that's what should be the general character. This is why we pray for our civil authorities, that we can live a peaceful and quiet life in all godliness. And so, for those who are unwilling to honor authority and make an effort at it, even bad authority, and those who are um, creating division everywhere in all the churches, and those who aren't cultivating prayer for the authorities over us that we might lead a peaceful and quiet life. In other words, trusting in the Lord our God, not in our war horses and chariots, in order to accomplish God's purpose. Shame on us. And shame on us. And shame on us. For any ways that those things are true of us. Give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Give to God the things that are God's. Stand with me for prayer. Jesus, I don't know the answers to all of this. I know that you will have the last word. I know that you will judge us. I know that you will judge us with the final word in all of these matters. Jesus, would you give wisdom to your church through your words to sort through difficult realities in our culture today, in the church and in the culture and in the relationship between our civil magistrates and authorities and our ultimate, ultimate King Jesus, we do know this, and we are united in this, that you reign over all the nations. And I hope that whatever's drops out of what I've said today, Jesus just falls away and is burned up. But I do pray that your church would heed wisdom and principles of wisdom that can at least guide us. I do pray that in the varying opinions that we have. that We wouldn't hold to our opinions in ways that lead to divisions. And Jesus, I pray that in our church, there would always be an ability to just say, I don't know. And Jesus, I pray that would be normal for us, that that would be a normal mark of our humility, that we need help, and we need wisdom, and we need counsel, and that we're not the last word. And I pray that you would forgive us for functioning like we are. Well, we thank you that you have all wisdom and you confound all those who seek to entrap you. And we thank you that we trust in the Lord our God, not in our chariots and war horses. Thank you that there's no avenue of Easy political domination in our land. Leading your people to live faithless lives. Turn us to Jesus, our Lord. And to give to him the things that are his. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.